All right. Um, well, uh, another day, another chapter. Smelling. Um, in, any, in, uh, I enjoyed the chapter. It was nice. Um, any initial reactions to the to the chapter? Holly. I thought she sort of had a hard time explaining herself without using other metaphors or. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, like to try to describe smell. And she talked about that in the beginning. Right. She would use like light things, you know. <laughs> yeah, or taste things, right? Yeah. Yeah. How do you how do you describe smell? Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. I think that goes to something also. Um, the difficulty of describing smell. I think is a result of the difficult difficulty that we have with smell in general. Um, yeah, Emily. I was thinking that in my early years as a Lutheran, this chapter would not have related to me as much as it does now, being a Saint. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, one of the one of the great things about the chapter is thinking theologically about your senses, which m- many of us don't do. Even though it's something we we use every day, which I think is very ironic. We we don't know really much about the world without using our senses, but we don't really think about our senses. <laughs> which, since we use them all the time, we should probably think about them theologically. Um, any, anything else? I mean, because I, I can just start and I won't stop. So, yeah, Kim, Ellen, Ellen. <laughs> came out of my mouth, and I, I made—I was like, oh. "Yes, I know." <laughs> Kim is listed first in my my, my uh, address book. So, Kim and Ellen. Um, I, I thought her observation was interesting and rang true with me that. In our culture in the West, we kind of prioritize sight right. and hearing after that, and then everything else after that. That's right. Well, and I, you know, did you guys do kind of a, just a mental inventory, though? Because even though she said sight, hearing, and then kind of the rest, there's really, I mean, did you guys do the, I mean, did you just kind of go down the order of the five senses? So, yeah, so, seeing and hearing, seeing for sure, first, hearing, second. But what would you guys stick as third? You put smell. Oh, interesting. I put smell dead last. Well, mainly because um, food is something I eat every day and I think about it more. Okay, now you're, you're splitting hairs. No, because no, 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 Carol. When you when you go to a restaurant and say how does it taste, you don't describe smells. You describe what it's on your tongue. So, yes, I understand you're right. But I think kind of practically speaking, when people taste, they think about taste. They don't think about smell. That, hence the reality that smell is underneath taste. That, that's, my, that's my argument, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> but I could be wrong. Um, but, yeah, what about touch? I mean, how does touch kind of fit into this? I think, I mean, do we think about touch? Things we, I mean... It's, it's, so it's interesting, right? So 
sight and hearing are really, really kind of far and beyond something that we use to um, understand truth. I mean, that's another thing, too, how we understand the way things are. And we really devalue taste and smell and touch to a certain extent. Yeah, Julie, or Nathan. Maybe I should call you Nathan since I called <laughs> Ellen Kim. All right. I just, going along with what you were saying, it's almost as if like we assign sight and hearing to our more academic self. Right. Whereas the touch and the, the smell are more tasty, I suppose, like emo- emotional. Right. In our culture, it's become, well, we need to be more rational, academic. Right. That's right. I think I think Julie hit, hit the nail on the head there. That's exactly right. Yeah, but there's um, I mean, but kind of the ramifications of what that means. Yes. But it's interesting. So we just moved into a new house, and I've been so aware of smell. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right. I've got Yeah, it, it's... It's interesting for me to read this, because it was kind of like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not, like, a huge weirdo for thinking about, yeah. like, what something smells Well, Katie, it's very interesting, um, your reaction. So when you come into a house, I think it's a very interesting analogy, because I think we all kind of have it, whether we think about it, is that when we walk into a house, we might see a paint that we don't necessarily like, but when we smell something we don't like, it is like, it's got to be taken care of now. <laughs> You know, you know, so which goes along with this idea is that, you know, there's maybe we, uh, you know, it, 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 it's attached to our emotions more than something we see. Like it makes, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, right. Like I'm seeking this comfort in something smelling good. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. It's unavoidable. Like you can look away from something that you don't like and you cannot touch something that you don't like, but if the smell is there, there's nothing. It's hard to not smell. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because it's, it's attached to our breathing. I mean, you can breathe through your mouth. But then, and then we go with what Carol says. You know, we still, we still have this connection with uh, can we taste the air. Yeah, it's just not going to work. Jan. I guess, you know, the part that struck me as I read this is the part that, like, our... Our smell to others can be good or it can be detrimental. Mm-hmm. I think because of you know our use of incense and the way of praising the Lord and everything here at St. John, we never think of the fact that if we're out there doing something on the bad side, right? We actually give off a bad smell. You stink. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And that, I was kind of bummed out about that section in the chapter because she didn't necessarily connect. Well, she mentions it, yeah. So when God's angry, he flares his nostrils, right? Yeah. Um, but she didn't necessarily, so she made the point about, uh, is it the church she kind of serves at when they help out with the homeless and the one lady said, whew, it stinks in here or whatever. It's ripe. Um, you know, how offensive that was. But at the same time, yeah, so in the Old Testament, there was a moral connection to the way you smelled. Well, and she mentioned Isaiah, and since we right. that in Joy Group, 
to God. They're doing all these things for the wrong reasons. Right. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, so, and that's exactly right. So what, what makes a person smell? And I think that's, that's what she kind of talked, I mean, wrote in the book. Um, so what does, what, you know, what makes a person smell? And theologically speaking, it's your, your works, your good works, your life. And it's not, you know, Related to your perfume you wear or don't wear or whatever. Um, Holly, you had your hand raised. Um, I was saying about what Julie just said about you know we the other senses are more of an emotional thing. Right. And I started thinking about the foodie nation and how I don't know if it would be something more irrational. It's like postmodernists really love their food and their smells and all the emotions that go with it, but at the same time, if that's like how they're connecting beauty, right? God. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word irrational because that denotes like not clear thinking, but it's a different way of understanding. Yeah, different understanding because, and I this is a, a great thing to think about. So, um. What are the ramifications of God being embodied or incarnate? Jesus is God incarnate, so he has eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and hands. And when he loves fully, what does that mean? Um, And I I think this is a, a real thing, so... Uh, since God is embodied, God loves you with his senses. Did Jesus love you fully? And if the answer is yes, then that includes all of his senses. So how does God love you with his senses? Um, and then what, what, does that, what does that actually mean? Um, by the same thing, though, the love of Jesus then redeems our senses. So which means then that our hearing, seeing, our tasting, our touching, and our smell has to be done according to Jesus, which I don't think most people think about because we think about following Jesus with our will and not with our body. So we strive to do something. We want to we wanna do God's will. We want to... Um, but we don't actually connect it to the concrete reality of our senses. And that's something I think the chapter really speaks to and that we probably need to spend more time reflecting upon. Um, Especially since God asks us to do that. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and your mind. And then in Mark chapter 12, Uh, He throws strength in there, too. Um, I think for most of us, when we hear those words, we we think very abstractly about kind of our our yearnings or our desires, but we don't actually think about loving a a God with our whole senses. But that's precisely what the heart means. 
our heart, our mind, our soul. Our soul is not necessarily the spirit, it's our self, what we consider to be ourselves. And then, of course, our mind. And strength. Strength is a bodily word. I don't know why I just did that, but um, (laughs) strength is a bodily word. So God asks us to do this, um, and and especially in Mark chapter 12. uh, So Mark chapter 12, a guy comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit uh, eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, haven't you you read the Bible before? You know, love your mother and father, honor your father and mother, you know, do not steal. He kind of quotes the Ten Commandments. And the guy says, um, yeah, you're right, Jesus. Uh, All these things are more important than uh, uh, sacrifices, um, love and mercy. And um, and then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So you have this connection between loving God and loving your neighbor. So, if we're called to love God with our whole bodies, including our noses, um, then that will inform how we love our neighbor. Somehow, <laughs> loving our neighbor with our noses is part of our Christian discipleship. Which, you know, I mean, Jesus said it, so we have to think about it. Okay. So I think that was, that was something that the, the chapter was uh, very helpful for us. So in a sense, yeah, we have to see as Jesus sees, hear as Jesus hears, taste as Jesus tastes, touch as Jesus touches, and smells as Jesus smells. And then that will be caught up in the redemptive work of God. Um, Now, going back then to the priority of senses, I would argue that smell is the hardest sense, whether it be kind of uh, being the most kind of offensive sense, or easily offensive, offended, um, or just in terms of describing, too. Uh, I went to Camp Arcadia a couple weeks ago, and uh, the, the lessons were on just Christian discipleship, and we talked about going to church, worship. And the basic premise was we worship God with our, all of our senses. So hearing was number one, and then seeing, you know, I just kind of went down the line, uh, so hearing was easy. We hear God's word, preached, sung. Um, uh, seeing, they kind of pictured, you know, stained glass or people. I mean, there was something they could they could actually describe. And then, uh, and then in taste, because we're kind of wise enough to say the Lord's Supper. Um, but then once we got to touch, it got a little more difficult. But um, they got some answers. And then we got to smell, as Emily has already pointed out. I mean, it was silence. They didn't have much. One kid said beeswax. So they said a candle. Um, but yeah, it was, it was difficult. Now, while at the same time I'm doing this, Mary came along, is standing outside the building, because there's fire alarms in the building, swinging the sensor. And thankfully, the camp director said, it's okay. She can probably walk through here without it, you know, going off. So, I can't remember whoever got you, came in, and you just kind of walked through this assembly hall, a little bigger than this. And 
it was fascinating. There was a center row, and it was fascinating to watch. The, everyone was facing each other. We were in a circle. So Mary just walked in the center, and I'm watching this, and everyone's looking. And all the St. John kids were, like, kind of embracing it, you know, taking a big, deep breath in. <laughs> and then everybody else had different reactions from kind of, like, confusion to disgust to kind of, you know, uh, interest. And so it was very interesting, I mean, to go with Katie's comment about walking into a house, it's the same thing. Everyone had visceral reactions. Now, they weren't necessarily, I'm gonna, this is the way I'm going to react to this. This is the way I'm going to explore this sense. There was no thinking involved. It was just, just pure reaction. And I thought it was, it was very fascinating for me. Fortunately, I ran out of time and we really couldn't explore that. But, you know, it was, for me, reflecting upon it, it, it kind of goes to this idea that no one's ever really thought about loving God with their noses. Because um, it's hard to. It's scary. Because of these reactions. We just have these reactions to things. Um, much less than, you know, kind of the biblical support for that, too. But... Um, and then also, too, I think it's a hard, hard sense to deal with because of our modern sensibilities, which they, she mentions in the book. But to a certain extent, she didn't really make the connection. What is the best smell in modern society? Yeah, and what would be the smell of clean? Well, or I would say no smell. No smell. Um, yeah. And I, think, and I think no smell, which of course is a very interesting thing because in Scripture, there is no room for no smell. So I think it's fascinating in our modern sensibilities when we try to remove smell from our lives and we say that's best or clean. Um, that's something we, we need to think about again. Are we afraid of smells? Is that why we do it? You know, I, I don't know. I mean I, I mean, I think it's really kind of interesting or maybe it's because we don't, we can't control the way we react to smell. I don't know. Barb. Since we talked about it, I happen to be thinking that when we think of, or when I think of heaven, I've never thought of smell. Right. I thought of seeing. I thought of touching. Yeah. I thought of sure. the angels. And I've never thought of smell. That's right. It's 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 a very interesting thing for us to not just to kind of avoid because of the power of the smell. <laughs> um, so, uh, anyways, so I, th- I think that just that basic—I mean—that basic premise on the, on the chapter was really helpful for us. The, the you know on the flip side though, uh, you know, heaven being kind of a life place. Uh, of course, on the flip side, we know what death smells like, right? I mean, has anybody smelled a rotting carcass? Yeah, it's awful, right? Anybody had a you know a squirrel dead in the wall or a mouse dead in the wall? Ugh, it's not good, right? So um, we know what death smells like. So it would make sense. It would make sense that we should probably know what life smells like. And of course, life that has to smell like who? God, right? Because God is God gives life. Jesus is life. He's the resurrection and the life. So anyways, so life smells like a person. And then when we try to avoid smell of people, I think we're, we're, we're robbing ourselves of, this, of, of something of 
Christ is giving us. At the same time, though, um, you know, in order to smell a person, you have to what? Yeah, you have to get close. And that's, that's scary. Of course, she spends a little time on smell. Now, sometimes you don't have to get close, right? I mean, any junior high boy with axe spray, you do not need to get close. Which means something. You know, I, I, I mean, not to get too... Uh, I, I, I've thought about this, you know, for the last week. After I read the chat, I reread the chapter, I, I said to myself, I'm like, thinking about smelling people, I think about the two extremes. The junior high boy with axe. Does everyone know what axe spray? You know, it's a body deodorant or what? I don't, is it deodorant or is it cologne? It's everything, right? It's kind of all in one, which is perfect for guys, right? We don't have to do two things, just one, deodorant and cologne, all in one. Okay. And I, yeah, I mean, it's easy. I just spray, right? I mean, and I can just spray it in the air and walk into it. I think that's how some junior high boys, because they don't like it being on them, so they just like kind of walk the, just the aura. Okay. Um, or the opposite side of like someone just being, you know, terrible body odors, whatever, stinking. And, you know, neither of those images are helpful for us in terms of smelling life. There has to be somewhere in between. And I don't know what that smells like. Just kind of scary, right? So my life as a Christian, I can see certain things very definitely. Like, um, you know, uh, seeing Jesus on the cross or hearing his word. These are all things that I can receive with confidence. Or, or we would say kind of rational, like, you know, I can. But when it comes to smell, I don't know what it is. That's a little bit unnerving for me. What is life? What does life smell like? I know what life is by hearing it, because I hear God's word. Rachel. Um, Rose of Sharon, yeah. Sharon, yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. So, um, uh, yeah, so the church has, you know, kind of uh, said, hey, you know, this is the way the Bible talks, so this is what we're going to do. Um, and that goes, you know, that's in the Old Testament, anointing oil. Uh you know, made out of olive oil, and um, so yeah, so maybe life smells like olive oil. Hmm, think about that for a little bit, because um, olive oil, right? That's that makes a good hair product. It's all natural. I'm I'm a big proponent of not shampooing my hair every day, so you know, let the natural oils. <laughs> I think that has to do with smell, right? Yeah, not just hair products. But Marilyn, did you? Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking we're talking about the smell of life. Have you heard little kids when they're playing together? One does something wrong, and the other one will say, "You stink." Yeah, right. So to me, I think of smell, and when we as Christians do something bad, right, we probably stink to God. Yep. Well, and that's what that's what he says. Right. That's exactly what he says. Now this. Okay. So. Um, there's plenty of smelling language in the Bible. Um, she just highlights a few, but if you were to spend any time in the Old Testament, it's all over the place. Smelling is all over the place. And um, I, I think I quote it in, in my little handout. There's a section where she says in the Hebrew Bible, meaning the Old Testament, um, smell has something to do with 
um, uh, our our relationship to God. In the New Testament, it's it's the opposite. God's kind of relationship to us. Because um, in the Old Testament, when it's, it starts in Genesis eight with Noah's sacrifice after the flood, and it, it the the sacrifice goes. So we got to know a little bit about sacrifices. Um, you got like a big. We have an altar, but it's made typically it's made out of hewn rock and wood, and you throw an animal on it. Now the animal, though, um, all through well, anytime it says like a food offering, you have to be kind of you got to figure out what that means because a food offering, it's God doesn't eat the food offering. People eat the food offering, so it smells like you're cooking, you know, Friday night dinner or Saturday afternoon, Memorial Day dinner. You're barbecuing. And so um, so that's a pleasing aroma is when God smells the sacrifice. Uh, now, the thing is, though, is that the thing that's burned up, there's things that are burned up, except for the whole burnt offering, which is the Holocaust, that the whole animal's burned up. But um, there's other sacrifices where the fat is given, so it burns up. So God gets the parts, like the best parts, and that's the fat. Um, but the meat usually goes to the priests or to, it depends, it's different, it gets a little complicated, and I'm glad that we don't have to do that anymore. But um, but the whole point, though, is, is that, that that's a pleasing aroma throughout Holy Scripture. Exodus 29, that's a big, big thing when they consecrate the priests, smelling, there's three sections of, pleasing aromas, all through Leviticus and Numbers, pleasing aroma. So what smells? The sacrifice. The thing that takes place, the substitution, which of course then means when Jesus dies on the cross, he smells good too. So it's the righteousness that smells good. So when one is unrighteous, one stinks. Nancy. Right. I was <laughs> I mean, which is why to me that um, the pleasing odor is more metaphorical than real. At least to our. Well, yeah. So, yeah, you'd have to. So, this is a great thing. Yeah, good job, Nancy. When Christ redeems our senses, it's not just a subjective experience, there's an objective reality, meaning that there's something out here that is beautiful or, or sweet smelling or, or whatever. Sounds great, tastes good, feels, feels you know, um, five senses. But Paul mentions in Second Corinthians, there's this thing out here that smells good for some people and smells terrible for other people. Well, what's the difference? It's you're running with God or running against God. And the, the prime example is crucifixion. I mean, we see the crucifixion as a sign of our salvation. Those who are outside Christ see a, a torture, an example of torture and bloody death. So that's where our senses have to be redeemed by Jesus. So Nancy, yeah, I would say, again, Thank goodness we don't have the sacrifices like they used to. It probably smelled like a between a butcher shop, a, like 
I mean, these are burnt too. I mean, it's not like you know medium rare. Like they're they're you know making it great too. So, I mean, there's a whole another level of experience going on there. But anyways, the whole point though is is that um, when our senses are redeemed by Christ, we are uh, we always go according to Jesus's work and and not ours. So we don't trust. So this is a, I bring this up with the children in their first communion, when they. Uh, when they eat the the bread, turn the body and the blood, turn wine. I ask them, "What is it going to taste like?" And it, you know, some of them say, "Is it going to taste like a body?" And I say, "No. It's going to taste like his bread." I said, "But you don't trust you, you trust Jesus's word more than your senses." Now, what that means is is that your God's word then informs your senses which is just a whole other way of understanding life. And it's a battle, right? Because our sin, sin is in our flesh. So we have this, always this temptation to understand the world according to ourselves or according to Jesus. And when we understand it according to ourselves, things, things are going to be terrible, meaning... Jesus, I mean, the cross is going to look horrific. Bread and wine is going to taste stale, and I don't know, it depends on what kind of wine you have, I guess. Um, you know, and there's a variety of other things. So this chapter is helpful for us to, to challenge us to understand things according to Jesus' world and not ours. Julie, sorry. I guess I'm... I'm Yeah. And just the Old Testament time period in general, smell was probably, I mean, it was hot there, and there wasn't a Right. You know what I mean? And, and there was no refrigerators or air conditioning. <coughs> I mean, smell was probably just a part of everyday. That's right. It was more and more part of our life. Yep. Um, whereas now we kind of can mute all those things. Yeah. Um, but they were probably used to that, too. Um, but even could be. I don't know. Do people get used to it? Yeah. I don't know. I, to prepare them. I suppose so. Put oils on themselves, right? I mean, right. About like the beauty treatments and Esther and all these things. That's right. Yeah. They like poured oil on themselves so they would smell good. Yep. And you know, is this because, um, like, does God use smell so much because it was so much a part of their life, and now because it is a part of the way He made us? It just got me thinking. Yeah. Well, I think I think so. I mean, I think I think it, the simple answer is yes, but how that all, all comes about is really the struggle. I mean, I, I think the simple answer, just based on loving God with your whole heart and mind, it, it includes all these things. It, it, it can't we can't exclude any of it. But at the same time, that's that's too easy. We have to figure out how that works out. Um, yeah, the, in fact, uh, so going back to the Camp Arcadia story, the kids. Of course, I've never really thought about smell. And so I said, you know, if we were 2,000 years ago, during Jesus' time, if we were all sitting in this room, I mean, we had been in that room for three hours, you know, off and on, I mean, it would smell a lot different. And we probably would welcome the sense of the, I mean, the smell of incense uh, a lot more than they did then. Um. And so that, that's something, too, that back in those... And that's, I think that's helpful for us to realize is that 
smell was a lot more upfront in in the old days for a variety of reasons. Um, they didn't have air filters, they didn't have air conditioning, heaters, ventilation systems. Um, uh, but at the same time, yeah, you know, did they get used to it? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, my, you know, my family has a dairy farm and us city slickers, you know, when we, we go out to it, you know, it smells a lot worse than my uncle thinks it does. So, but, but at the same time, it smells. I mean, it's not like it doesn't smell, right? I think that's kind of my argument is that we have removed smell to the point that we don't even know what it is. Yeah. And I think it's a detriment. Yeah, Lindsay. I was just going to say, I think a lot of times with smell, you have to be told that something stinks. You've gotten used to it. Right. You just kind of, sometimes you have to be told. That yeah, that's right. That's right. You go to a barn and it's normal. Yeah. I mean, for people who live in the barn, they don't consider it stinky. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, poop stinks. I think all the time. I know, I think you can get used to it. That means you can, you can bear it. But that doesn't mean it smells, it doesn't smell anymore. Yeah, see, I don't know about that. I think you would have to think about that for a little bit, Lindsay. We used to, we used to have a bar near a... <laughs> and I remember the first few months of going to the city, like, Yeah, I, I don't think you get, you, yeah, I don't, I think you just get used to it. Not so much it doesn't smell. You know, for instance, I think the great, the, go, go away from, you know, on vacation for a couple weeks and then come back to your house and you walk in for the first time, you're like, huh. That's right. So I, that, that's important though, because that's, so you're, you're, you've learned, you've learned to interpret the smell in a certain way. Where I think, you know, cleaning, and, and, and this would be kind of an uh, experiment. I don't know how you would ever do it, but, like, we've cleaned things to the point of no smell. But I'm wondering if that actually does have a smell. But, I mean, besides the Carolina pine, you know, that Mr. Clean smells like. So, there was another hand over here, I think. Yeah, Katie. Thinking about, um, the, you know, the, uh, what is it called? The pilgrimage in Spain, the like. Uh, El Camino? El yeah. Camino. And how at the end there's that, that giant sensor, the Boca Camaro. Right, yeah. Someone said once that like it's so big because by the end people smell really bad. Sure, like, probably, yeah, right. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, the sensor is like, I mean, it's, it's this huge thing and it goes through the whole nave of the church. It's pretty impressive. Holly. So why we burn incense in church, are, are we masking like Think of our sin? Yeah, this is a good question. I, I, we haven't talked about it. Yeah. We're covering it up. So, uh, no, I mean, covering it up insofar as you're, uh, so in the New Testament, we talk about putting on the robes of righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean we are just hiding our sinful selves. But the robe of righteousness is what God sees first, but redemption has a, not, not just a, a quality, well, it, it changes, it, it has a transformation effect too. So the, um, 
the sense of the incense in the Old Testament and the sacrifices, these are the smell... Well, so first of all, the, the sacrifices are the, the smell of forgiveness. There's forgiveness of sins done in the sacrifice, which means then the forgiveness, the sins are taken away. So that smell is taken away. I mean, if you want to think about sin, stinks. Sin stinks. And in the sacrifice, it's, it's removed, forgive, forgiven, and now we have this other smell that takes over. The incense is our prayers rising up. Um, yes, Psalm 141 to evening prayer, but also uh, Exodus 30 where they make the altar of incense. Um, so that, so you have a couple things going on in, 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 in smells. They're not all the same. So the incense of the altar, it not only is, so you have two altars too. So you have this, the altar, the main altar, the high altar, the, the altar of sacrifice, sends up forgiveness. And then the altar of incense is where the priest stands and prays. So we smell good, but we have to have the forgiveness of sins first. I don't know if you guys know about the temple. So you walk into the temple, the, the first thing you see is the altar where they sacrifice the, the animals. And then there's a procession in, right? So that's the part where everyone can kind of see at least. And then you have the holy, the holy place where the priests are. And then the altar of incense is, is there right before the holy of holies. So the priest prays, and it comes up. Now, also, too, the altar of incense is smoky. So the prayers, though, is a two-way thing. The altar of incense also is a reminder of the Shekinah, the glory of God, pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. The glory of God comes down into the temple, lights the fire, and you got smoke. So the altar of incense does have that sacramental aspect, too, of God hearing our prayers coming down. It's hard to kind of keep it all together in your brain, but they're all connected. So when Jesus is the, so Jesus comes in, he fulfills all these parts into one person. Okay, Holly. <coughs> so, um, so now instead of like our sacrifices going up to God, we bring down to us in the Lord's Supper. Yeah, that's 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 okay. Yep. Okay, so if then we are forgiven, then he'll then God the Father will hear our prayers. Yeah, but but we don't want to keep a too linear of a thought. So hang on, keep going. Uh, so then I was curious why in the liturgy do we do the prayer of Thanksgiving? Be, uh, when do we do the incense before the altar? I mean, before you do the worship. That's right, yes. So why do we do that before we receive the forgiveness? Okay, so it's a good question. Right. So typically, this when is the, well, uh, not in our church, but like if you were to watch kind of more traditional churches, which they do exist out there, um, when, is it, when is the incense actually lit, or when is it brought into the church? Yeah, it's right in the beginning. As a sign of God's presence. The Shekinah. Okay. 
So you have God's presence being burned already. The incense, though, also is a, uh, a sign of our prayers. So our prayers are always being kind of said at all the time. The other thing, too, though, is, so why do we do what we do at St. John? So after we say the, um, the offertory, right, we sing the offertory, and then we have the proper preface with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, and then we sense. Did anyone take a look at Revelation? I mean, she mentions this, Revelation 5 and 8. Heaven is filled with incense. So that's when we do it at the altar around that time. But that's more to highlight what's happening on the altar, not so much about incense itself. Does that make sense? Like if we, if we really wanted to do something for, for incense sake, we would bring it in. We'd bring it in. We do this on maybe high, high feasts, right? We'll sense the, the gospel book before we read the gospel. Um, and that is because of the uh, purification aspect of incense from the Old Testament. But it, we're not doing the book itself. We're doing the reading of the word. So like uh, there's a, another traditional making sign of the cross for the, before the gospel. You make three crosses on your mind and your mouth and your heart. That's not because the gospel needs it. It's because you need it. I mean, this kind of this consecration. Um, yeah, so we don't need to sense the gospel book because it's because it needs it. It's so we need it, um, and that would be the same for the altar. Uh, so evening prayer, take a look. Go home and look in your hymnals. There is a uh, section of sensing the altar, even though we don't have the Lord's Supper, and we do that in evening prayer because of the prayers itself. It's a sign of. Letter, letter of prayers, and we sing that during evening prayer. Um, okay. So, the, yes, the problem with... Uh, we got to take a look at the worship service from God's point of view sometimes. So, we like to see it chronologically because that's how we kind of do it, right? Confession of sins, preached word, Lord's Supper. But it's all, all together, all together, and um, somebody said, "Well, I just got forgiveness. Why do I need it again?" What's the wrong question? Because you can't think about it in those distinct terms. You got to think about the whole experience. That's why, you know, during the Reformation or kind of pre-Reformation, you didn't have confession absolution at the beginning of the service because you know you, you would routinely go to confession absolution with your pastor. So you would start the church with the invocation and the Kyrie. Now we look, well, they didn't get their forgiveness of sin, so they're going to walk into church, you know, unforgiven. No, that's not the case. Because you're entering in Jesus' name. So that all this stuff has to be kind of held within Jesus. That would be the same with the smell, too, the incense. I don't know if it made any sense there, but... Okay, Carol. One thing about it, the sense of smell that is different from all of the other senses, in that it cleanses with you. Right. Good. Thank you for bringing this up. But if you think, what I love rosemary, I love it. Yeah. Because when I'll rub my hand, 
Yeah, right, of course. Yeah. Or one that's not quite so fun. Go out for drinks. Not so much anymore, but back when people smoke. Yeah, right. Come home and, oh, my hair smells. Yep. I mean, it's other with sight, what, what, you know, you see it and it's gone. You remember. You might remember right. That the smell is the same smell as Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, I, I really like that section in the book. I mean, I don't think it was, I mean, I don't, her writing wasn't necessarily profound, but it, it conjured up all these certain experiences. Yeah. S uh, smell and memory, smell, memory, presence. How, I don't know how you want to say it, but I wrote down two pine needles and cigarette and oil gasoline. I don't know what it was. But pie needles. Oh, so uh, pastor chats, we're working through prayer and we're utilizing our senses to write prayers for the older kids, um, especially during the, the third through fifth graders. So downstairs, you, there's taste. You know, all five senses, there's big pieces of paper and these kids are writing prayers. So it was hard for them. I, so I wrote one. I said, thank you, God, for pine needles. Because it reminds me of my backyard and all the great things that uh, was associated with my children, childhood. They're like pine needles. There's uh, some trees over here at Wheaton College. They're like the long white pines. Not, not the, I mean, they, and they're falling down now. And when I ride my bike or I walk through there, I am instantaneously on 46 Sensatine Drive, Wausau, Wisconsin. And I actually, I, I, I feel like I'm back in this back 40, which has now been developed, you know, which is very sad. But um, I, I remember these times sitting in the woods, waiting, hoping that animals would come up to me. But I remember the smell of the pine needles. I mean, I, I just, I can, I still, it's a, it was a fall day. I mean, it's fall, October, cloudy. Because uh, I remember my science teacher saying, you know, go into the woods and sit still for a long time, and you'll see some animals. You'll see more, because they keep their distance. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna try it. I mean, I, I, it's all the time, that memory. And then cigarette and oil. I always think of uh, the Wisconsin Valley Fair or my honeymoon. Because I, I can think about walking the runway at the in, in Marathon Park, and I smell cigarettes and like I don't know. I always think about it like oil, but it's like grease and because it's the fair and they got. But then I also think about like walking the streets on my honeymoon and you're smelling cigarettes and just kind of streets. But it's it's visceral. Though I mean, it's you're, you're there. I mean, you're present. So it's more than a mental memory. It's it's like a physical memory, which I think is really important. And so that's I think, based on those experiences, and I think we all have them. God is doing God. That that's not an experience devoid of God ever. So how 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 has God given you an experience like that? And does He? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it was very touch touching the story about the woman who wore her dead husband's shirts, right? So, I mean, 
and you know babies right i mean i i feel like i'm a pretty gentle guy you know but i know right away when i pick up a newborn and they're not comfortable with me i mean it's because of the way i smell it's i mean i'm very gentle I hold the head you know i feel like i'm you know but i can just feel the baby just tensing up <laughs> who is this so i mean yeah it's uh so this, yeah, so I think I mean Carol brings up a really good point. I mean, did you guys ever think? I mean, did any other mental inventories of smells in your brain? Like, oh yeah, Mary. So on Tuesdays I set up the grist here, and I always sense the place before people come in. And on several occasions when I have gone to work, I've walked in and my secretary looks at me and says, "You smell like church." Yeah, right. You know, just because again that clinging it clings to you. Yep. And like they can recognize, like, oh, that means church. Like that smell means church. Yeah, right. Um. Yeah, yeah. So I would, I think, I think if we all just kind of think about like really good experiences, I think there's probably a smell associated with them. And I, I work over at the food pantry, and there's a gentleman that lives outside, and he intentionally. I know who this is. Yes. So as soon as he walks in the front door, yeah. and I'm all the way at the back, yeah. and the door shuts behind him, comes in. Down the hall, I'm like, oh, that's you. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's an outside kind of guy. That's right. Outside. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, anybody, right? I mean, if you've been outside all day, I mean, you can come in. It, what I find interesting, too, like in the wintertime, you can smell, like, cold. Yeah. Right? Isn't that weird? Um, Nancy, what were you going to say? I was going to say, um, you do get used to smells. And one of my friends who worked in Liberia, an American, was staying with some Africans. Anyway, they were having a good well, I can smell it every time a white person. Yeah, right, sure. On the bus, if just one comes into the bus, I can smell it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I wonder what Lauren Winter would say about that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, this is exactly right. So, okay, so the thing is, though, is that I think um, when, whether it be people or uh, environments, these smells are, are, are really important for us, whether we acknowledge it or not. I don't think we think about it too much. Because, again, it's hard to describe smells. And, think, and usually we think in thoughts. So it's hard to... But when we smell it, we are transported. Yeah, I, 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 it, there's... Uh, yeah, I think it's funny. Pine needles and cigarettes and oil. I mean, those are smells that I routinely smell... I look forward to them. Yeah. Um, again, those are environmental smells. I didn't want to get too personal about people, but yeah, people have smells too. Um, any, anything else about? I mean, I, this, yeah, what Carol brought up, I think we could have spent the last forty-five minutes talking about also. But um, yeah. Okay. Anything else, Julie? Um, About uh, Second Corinthians. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a phrase. I mean, there's a phrase in Philippians. 
Right. Yeah, I think so. Um, whether it be Philippians or Ephesians or even the, the Second Corinthians text, they're they're all connected in terms of fragrance. Uh, Second Corinthians might be not necessarily created to the the fragrant offering, but this smells. So um, the the simple answer is is that our smell when we are in Christ then smells like like Jesus. Now these are all not literal because who knows what Jesus smells like. But um, the idea is that um, when we are in Christ, we give off this aroma, which are the good works that Christ does through us. Now, Christ's pr- the, the primordial fragrant offering is him on the cross, offering himself up to God in our place. So that is the sacrificial system coming to fulfillment. So that's a pleasing aroma. Okay. So when one is joined into this life or into that event through the death and resurrection of Jesus, then one lives in this kind of emitting this good. Now, um, I, you know, some of her conclusions based on that, you know, were, I mean, I think she kind of took several jumps and didn't, get there like it wasn't uh, hey so we got this so then let's just say this over here and I wasn't really sure exactly how she got to those but um, but yeah so, so Paul like in Ephesians and Philippians I think is using this Old Testament theology so I think the people when they heard that they're like oh yeah of course Jesus is offering up himself um, yeah so like for, yeah okay good let's just leave it at that um, but again Without the justification, our sanctification stinks. So it's the old adage, you can't bear good fruit unless you're made into a good tree. And the only way you're made into a good tree is by the death and resurrection of Jesus, Christ's righteousness. So when you put on Christ, then that's what smells. Um, Yeah, the 2 Corinthians text, I think, is really helpful because in chapter 1, Paul says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then it comes into this pleasing aroma. So well, I haven't done this lesson in a long time for the Lord's Supper class, but I have a big giant dove deodorant bar. The dove being Holy Spirit smell. So we smell like the Holy Spirit. Um, which, of course, then goes back to the Rose of Sharon and baptismal anointing because the spirit gives off this smell because the spirit empowers us to live the life of Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Carragher's had enough. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.